Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Today we have a very interesting show for you. We are welcoming Seamus Bruner. You can follow him at S-E-A-M-U-S Bruner, B-R-U-N-E-R.com. Also at Seamus Bruner on Twitter and Instagram. His book is Controligarchs, Expecting the Billionaire, Exposing the Billionaire Class and Their Secret Deals. We're going to talk about globalism. There is that, there is that controligarch cover. Uh, he has been the director of research, Seamus has, at the Government Accountability Institute uh, and author of other best-selling books, Compromised and Fallout. We've got a lot to get into today. We have, of course, with us Dr. Kelly Victory. So let's get right to it after this. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. I think everyone knows the next medical crisis could be just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of another pandemic or something much more routine like a tick bite. You and your family need to be prepared. That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their physicians on like Dr. McCullough frequently. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals you can trust. And their new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy. It's really, it's a safety net. It's an insurance policy yeah, absolutely. that you hope you're not going to need. But if you need it, you sure as heck are going to wish you had it if you need it. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin, z pack The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all these life-saving medications. From anthrax to tick bites, to COVID-19, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured, knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to help you and your family stay safe from whatever life throws at you next. Go to drdrew.com slash TWC. That is drdrew.com forward slash TWC to get 10% off today. Just click on that link. So as I said, you can follow Seamus at SeamusBruner.com. Also, Seamus Bruner on Twitter, S-E-A-M-U-S-B-R-U-N-E-R. And the book, let's throw that up there one more time. It is Controligarchs. And uh, I don't know if you all have noticed what I've noticed, but there seems to be a certain uh, class of, certainly of politicians these days that seems to get off, for lack of a better way of describing it, on controlling other people's lives. I, I don't understand that impulse. I s certainly don't understand... Uh, people's willingness or desire to comply with that—that that is the most anathema uh, impulse in my in my body. But uh, it seems like COVID taught us that a lot of people do seem to like that uh, that controlling kind of influence in their life. So please welcome Seamus Bruner, Doctor Drew. It's such a pleasure Seamus, to be with you. 
Pleasure to have you. I'm sorry we had a little technical problem getting going here. You hear me okay? Everything sounds good? Looks good? Everything sounds great. All right, great. So just first, let's start with the book. What, what would we learn reading the book? What led to your desire to tell this story? What did you notice? How did you get to this place where you felt, I got to write a book about this? Well, at the Government Accountability Institute, we follow the money. That is our motto around here. And we usually are following it to the politicians. And we exposed insider trading in Congress. Uh, we've you know exposed the Clintons and the Bushes and the Bidens um, by following the money. But I thought to myself, especially through the pandemic, why not follow it all the way to the top? A lot of times it feels like our politicians are sort of just puppets uh, exerting the will of a more powerful group. And sure enough, the pandemic proved that. I mean, with with Bill Gates, who's not a doctor at all, somehow assuming the role of global health expert and then trying out these, uh, you know, middle of the pandemic uh, mandates, uh, you know, it was too much. And so you hear it all the time. The pandemic is over. COVID's over. Why are we talking about COVID? Uh, the reason I did this book is because no, COVID was just a blueprint for the future. Um, and there's, it was a, an opportunity in the words of people like mm. Klaus Schwab and other, other global elites, uh, you know, Prince Andrew or King Andrew, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was an opportunity and sure enough, we followed the money. We saw that, uh, you know, people like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg almost doubled his net worth. He's now worth close to $120 billion and there's nothing wrong with making money, but when you're doing it by locking people in their homes and forcing them into tech addiction, um, that's a big problem. And so that I, you know, I thought following the money would be uh, an important way to show how these guys use the opportunity of the pandemic to cash in and how they are using it to corner uh, industries, key industries that are dominating every aspect of our lives. Well, let's start with Bill Gates, for instance. I, I, you know, I've watched the documentary on him. I've read a little bit about him. I had the impression that he was looking for ways to do good. Now he certainly varies. Let's let's use a kind word like self-assured or self. You know, has a lot of confidence in his point of view. Is he perhaps just misguided and then unwilling to take uh, any input or, or reconsider the road he's on? Yeah, so we we followed Bill Gates all the way back, read all the memoirs and biographies, his father's memoirs, uh, watched the documentaries, and uh, you notice something. I mean, before really 1995, Bill Gates was not this philanthropist uh, do-gooder. Uh, no, he was a ruthless capitalist who would uh, use any tactic to get ahead. Um, itself, you know, he admitted cribbing various, uh, you know, uh, features from both Apple and Xerox to build the Microsoft operating system. That got him into trouble with the Justice Department in the mid to late 90s, settling in 2001, this big antitrust suit. That was when he set up the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It was uh, a tactic that's been used in the past by wealthy industrialists, the Rockefellers, you know, when Standard Oil became a trust and everybody thought that the Rockefellers were ruthless capitalists. That's when the Rockefeller Foundation uh, sets up. And then all of a sudden, almost overnight, they turn into uh, the saviors of uh, mankind. Um, so Bill Gates, uh, you know, as far as philanthropy, he was never charitable. His mother would plead with him, please give some away of your uh, billions of dollars away. I mean, he's been the world's richest man 20 of the last 30 years. Uh, she would plead with him right to her deathbed in the mid-90s, please give your money away. He he wouldn't. He kept it until 
it served to benefit him. Now, once he set up the foundation, and it was really a lot of the dreams of his father, um, you know, regarding overpopulation and childhood vaccinations. I mean, Bill Gates Jr., he's the third, but he, you know, Jr. for all intents and purposes, um, was not really con- concerned with global health. You know, he was concerned with tech. His father was the one who was very concerned with global health, and he chaired the foundation. He was the, you know, general counsel um, and legal advisor to younger Bill Gates. Um, but yeah, I mean, that the the idea that he did, you know, he kind of rebranded, and then he became this uh, hero of of the left. But before that, he was really a villain. So, so what do you imagine is going on? And I, I would like to sort of talk about the the human part of this and the sort of root cause. <clears throat> what do you imagine is going on in his head? Is he really just, uh, you know, is it a kind of a narcissism where he has to continue to impact the world in ways that uh, he feels good about? Uh, or is it, is it possibly the effects of aging and maturity and he's actually had a change? I mean, you know, you read some of the, the stories about the fights he had with his father when he was a child and some of his behavior, he really, uh, not what you call a good dude in those, in those years, but has sort of taken on the mantle of I'm doing good. Is there, as you look at all these guys, I'm just wondering if there's some sort of theme here. I mean, whether you look at the Rockefellers or Schwab or whomever, I, do they do they is it just part of a grandiose personality that it was at one time ruthless as now is sort of trying to make an amends in some way that is equally as narcissistic you, i'm struggling with this help me sure sure i mean and, and you saw the documentary i mean his sister said that he had a nasty streak and plenty of microsoft employees have attested to the fact that he's a pretty hard guy to work for um, you know, so the cardigan clad, uh, you know, smiling man on TV, very Mr. Rogers esque is not the, not the real Bill Gates as far as, you know, his family and, uh, employees have said, but, um, regarding the philanthropy and, and sort of what motivates people like Bill Gates or, or Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos, who all give considerable sums to, um, fail, philanthropic causes, mostly their own, um, it's this God complex on steroids. And there's an MIT computer science professor named uh, Joseph Wiesenbaum who uh, sort of uh, psychoanalyzed what drives a lot of these Silicon Valley guys. It's that uh, they build these worlds, these software worlds, uh, digital worlds of whether it's Facebook or Microsoft. And and they're the gods of their worlds where they can turn the dials and pull the levers and, and everything responds uh, how it should to them. And then the problem is, is they try to take that ability and uh, execute it in the real world and turn our levers and our dials and hope that we'll respond how they want us to. Um, It doesn't often go well um, because people don't like to be controlled. Nonetheless, uh, you know, Bill Gates doesn't want you to uh, eat meat, for example. And it it does just so happen that he owns all of the patented uh, meat alternative companies or invests heavily in them uh, that are supposed to replace meat. Um, people don't exactly love fake meat. Uh, they prefer real meat in, in the case of people who like meat, but, um, it's the same thing with energy. I mean, so we talk about in the book, the food, the energy, uh, you know, it's, uh, you, you can't, you can't drive va- gas vehicles. And so, you know, while you think that the charity, the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation and a lot of these other, uh, big philanthropic organizations, like they, they purport to do well, they're, they're planning to save the world. It's a very ambitious goal. Um, but at the same time, they end up putting out the white, the white papers and the, the, the data that proves uh, the case 
that their investments ought to be more profitable. It proves that cows are going to, uh, you know, hurt the planet. Therefore, we should ban them. And, and countries around the world are actually taking a lot of this stuff seriously. I mean, Ireland is planning to slaughter uh, anywhere from 40,000 to 200,000 cattle. Um, and this all kind of starts as just kind of a uh, idea from uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation white paper. And Bill Gates writes about it on his blog 10 years ago about how cows are this big problem. And now all of a sudden countries around the world are planning to ban them. So um, this is kind of that God complex where they think that they can make a better product, a better, uh, you know, I mean, just with the mRNA vaccines, I mean, the ultimate uh, end goal with uh, these uh, mRNA technologies, which are miraculous, is, uh, you know, according to Elon Musk, life extension and, uh, you know, Elon Musk said in sort of tongue in cheek, you could turn yourself into a butterfly uh, with the right mRNA <laughs> sequence. I mean, it's obviously not the case, but he says the anti-aging yeah. benefits. So, they, so they're working on anti-aging and they're working on better uh, meats that they grow in Petri dishes. Right. And so that's kind of what animates these guys. I mean, because they can do it. They have the money and the uh, <laughs> power it, to do so. It. It's sort of, I mean, again, I, it's which comes first, you know, they invest in these companies that they think are doing good, that are going to replace the things that are doing bad and they're providing the money and then they get profits from it. They may not have been looking for the profit in the first place, but it does look rather suspicious. But the bigger issue for me is, and this is the thing that I'm seeing, you know, that COVID was such a writ large example of. These people are hubristic, and it's interesting to me when I look at the cover of your book, it's mostly Americans, sufficiently hubristic to tell you how you should live your life. That is anathema to every principle upon which the American system was founded, it seems to me. Does, does, did you notice that difference, and do they ever notice that, that issue and sort of speak to it? Uh, they don't speak to it. I mean, that Bill Gates is quoted as saying he, you know, as a child, he was at war with his parents for control. Um, he's always been, and, and when, uh, you know, in high school, when he was kicked out of the Lakeside uh, High School Programmers Club by Paul Allen and the others who founded this very early software club, uh, you know, he, he kind of threatened them and said, you better let me back in, but be careful. If you give me control, I'll never let it go. And sure enough, I mean, he, he had Microsoft through the end through the end there. Um, and, and as far as like, which comes first, the, the, the good ambitions of a fake meat company or the profits, um, you know, we uncovered this strategy that Microsoft used in the, in the nineties that got it into trouble with the antitrust regulators. And that was called embrace, extend, extinguish. That was Microsoft's term for it, where they would enter an industry and act like they're not making any waves and, Oh, we're just, we're just, uh, creating our own internet browser, nothing to see here. Um, eventually, they would extend their reach within that industry, installing Internet Explorer on every PC. And then ultimately, in the extinguish phase, they would, uh, uh, quote, cut off the air supply, Microsoft executives term, uh, to the competitor, Netscape. And so that was a huge problem. Well, that embrace, extend, extinguish strategy seems to be playing out. I mean, with the food control situation where he enter, you know, he just starts buying up some land and says, oh, nothing. I'm just kind of diversifying my assets, um, buys up some of these uh, alternative protein companies. I mean, very early angel investor in Beyond Meats, Impossible Foods, um, the fertilizer companies as well, uh, these synthetic fertilizer companies, kind of joint ventures with Bayer Monsanto. Um, and, and it's really all about the patents, patents and the intellectual property. It's not so much about saving the planet. 
It's that these new technologies, yeah. the fertilizers, the, the fake meats, uh, and the new uh, technologies for agriculture, they're all patented. And the family-owned farms, they can't afford uh, to comply with the regulations. So we're really seeing the extinguish phase right now. If you ask right. Uh, right. ask any farmer how you know how hard it is to run their business for a profit, it's very hard. I, I get it. And finally, before I bring Dr. Victory in here, the relationship with Epstein is kind of an interesting chapter here. Sure, sure. So that that really kicks off um, around 2011. Uh, Bill Gates is uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is teaming up with uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, one of the largest banks, of course, um, to set up this global health investment fund. And the uh, chief of investment banking at J.P. Morgan is a guy named James E. Staley. Now, Staley basically managed the Epstein client relationship at J.P. Morgan. Epstein was a incredibly mm -hmm. valuable client for the bank. He brought in new clients. And in fact, J.P. Morgan has recently admitted that uh, more than a billion dollars mm -hmm. in Epstein bank transfers passed th through their accounts, through their wires, um, more or less marked for, quote, human trafficking. That's what J.P. Morgan called it in this trial. Now, they settled for uh, close to $350 million dollars with the victims of Jeffrey Epstein for basically, I mean, they settled to not admit guilt, but the accusation was that they facilitated the Epstein network. What does this have to do with Bill Gates? Well, Bill Gates is teamed up with uh, JP Morgan on this global health investment fund, and Epstein wants a piece of it. He actually wanted to profit from it. He wanted to be brought in. And so James uh, Staley, Jess Staley, um, introduces Epstein to Bill Gates. Well, they hit it off famously um, the New York Times says many times, we don't have a total number on the number of times that Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein hung out, but we know that they had some shared interests, particularly in the fields of overpopulation. I mean, Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein sort of differ on their solutions to overpopulation. Ep Epstein did not agree that saving uh, many lives in the third world through the efforts like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's efforts would help with overpopulation. You can kind of actually see um, it seems counterintuitive that saving lives will help fix overpopulation. And that's a huge concern of Bill Gates. I mean, he's very open about it in his TED Talks. And, and you know, the earth is heading for 9 billion people, and we need to reduce that by 10 to 15%. Um, but they, they shared that concern about overpopulation. They also shared concerns or shared interests in uh, sort of genetic tinkering and CRISPR projects. And so that's, that's kind of what they hit it off over is this global health investment fund. Now, that uh, you know, Global Health Investment Fund continued at long after Jeffrey Epstein's demise and, and was actually instrumental through the pandemic and helping find uh, vaccines, et cetera. But yeah, we, I mean, we, we kind of dug deep into the, the relationship. And um, I, I think the most shocking thing about the whole thing is the JP Morgan bank transfers. I mean, if people are looking for an Epstein client list, JP Morgan surely has it. Wow. Them. Stunning. And it's weird that no one has brought that up, uh, but here we are. Uh, well, we're going to take a little break here, and then I'm going to bring Dr. Kelly Victor in. I, I want to hear more about uh, some of the the guys on the cover of your book here. Is is Soros on the cover of your book? I, I, I don't wouldn't recognize him necessarily. Is he there? Yeah, yes, he, he's over there on the right. He he seems like a bit of a different bird to me uh, compared to the rest. Um, uh, so we'll get into that uh, and we'll bring Dr. Kelly Victory in here just after this. If you're trying to figure out the right present for someone, you will not go wrong with gifting the most comfortable sheets, clothing, and accessories 
that your friends and family have ever felt. Of course, I'm talking about Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth has the softest and most comfortable sheets, blankets, towels, PJs, joggers, and more guaranteed. Susan and I love them. In fact, we still have Cozy Earth sheets on our bed. I slept in them last night. I was thinking of how great they were. And look at this. I'm wearing one of their super comfortable t-shirts right now. I don't get, I just can't get enough of Cozy Earth. Their sheets are durable, machine washable, and come with a 10-year warranty against defects. So no surprise that Cozy Earth's brand has been featured on Oprah's Favorite Things for five years in a row. Whether it's their luxury pajamas, super soft bedding, loungewear, or plush bath towels, you will love shopping and gift giving at Cozy Earth. Here's my gift to you this holiday season. Go to CozyEarth.com, enter code DREW to save 40%. That's CozyEarth.com with code DREW. CozyEarth.com, code DREW, save 40%. Susan and I have been looking for a nutrition-packed, great-tasting greens drink for a while. And then we tried our friends at Paleo Valley's Organic Super Greens, which is superior to what's out there on the market. Our friends at Paleo Valley, well, they think of everything, and they've created what's been called a magical green powerhouse. All three delicious varieties, pure, unflavored, strawberry lemonade, and tropical, contain... 23 certified organic antioxidant-rich superfoods, including the highest quality spirulina. It's also free of cereal grasses, gluten, grains, soy, and dairy, and no added sugars or artificial sweeteners. And what's more, it delivers digestive enzymes, polyphenols, which are believed to burn fat, and eight essential amino acids. Imagine the time, effort, and cost of trying to make this yourself. It's impossible. Head on over to drdrew.com slash paleovalley, and you will get 15% off your first order. All the great products they have there, 15% off at drdrew.com slash paleo, P-A-L-E-O. Thanksgiving is almost here, which means it's time for the best Genucel sale of the year. Just in time for the holidays, save over 60% off both of our personally tailored Genucel skincare packages at genucel.com slash drew so you can look your very best at all of your Thanksgiving gatherings. Look 10, 15, 20 years younger, guaranteed with the best natural skincare anywhere. Take advantage of Genucel's best sale of the year and say goodbye to fine lines, crow's feet, puffiness, and dark spots. The Genucel experience is like no other, but don't take my word for it. You will look and feel your absolute best or your money back, no questions asked. So for results in 12 hours or less, Genucel's immediate effects is included for free. Plus, if you go to genucel.com slash drew now, you'll get a free upgrade to priority shipping. That is genucel.com slash drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash drew. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. If this episode ends here, the rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv. There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew. This, uh, yet again, is uncharted territory, Kelly. I <laughs> welcome you to the program and introduce you to Seamus Bruner. Hi, Seamus. Really happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us. You and Drew covered a lot of uh, real estate in that first segment, uh, so I want to dial it back for a minute. Drew and I commonly disagree about things, although he's come far more to my side of the fence with regard to the pandemic debacle over the last uh, couple of years. Um, I pride myself on that. Um, but let me set the <laughs> record straight with regard to Bill Gates. 
Bill Gates was never altruistic. He is a narcissistic psychopath with a control fetish. <laughs> and I say that as somebody who was a psychologist before I was a trauma expert. So before I became a physician, so as a as a psychologist, I can tell you, he is a card-carrying psychopath, uh, truly, or sociopath is actually probably a better word because he has no uh, remorse at all for the ill that he does. And then I will also say with regard to philanthropy for all of them, I don't care if it's George Soros or Bill Gates or Zuckerberg or any of them. By the way, I love your word, uh, control guard. Fabulous words, my new favorite word of the of the year. But when it comes to philanthropy, I can say as somebody who grew up in a, a Catholic Jesuit household, um, it's only philanthropy really if it hurts, if it's painful, if it causes you some. For me to make a $5,000 donation to something, that's a painful for me. It's a significant amount of my disposable income. For Klaus Schwab or Bill Gates or those to uh, contribute to gift, if you will, the amount of money they have, it is. there's a sofa change to them, okay? They are only parting with as much money as it does not cause them even a blink of the eye. So I have no respect on that regard for any of them. What I want to pick your brain about for a minute here to start with, Seamus, is I look at the cover of your book and we've got George Soros, who I think is 93, Klaus Schwab, I think is 85, Bill Gates is somewhere around 68, Zuckerberg, I think is 39. You're talking about, you know, decades expanse of people who made it to the cover of the book. Talk about how does this group, what is it? Is it just money that binds them? What is it that made this group the control oligarchs? That's uh, such a great question. Um, I mean, it is, of course, their desire to control your life, uh, many aspects of it. And they all are to varying degrees, uh, you know, control freaks like that, but not, you know, not they're not all the same. I mean, Jeff Bezos is certainly more, uh, uh, you know, or at least historically was on the more libertarian side. And so was Mark Zuckerberg. But then you can kind of see as time progresses and, uh, you know, they get involved with these uh, elite global uh, institutions like the World Economic Forum that uh, they sort of bend to that angle and, and get a, a, you know, an elite uh, worldview. Um, and the, pe and the peasants do need to be controlled. Um, so, I mean, I've traced, I traced it all the way back. I mean, and it's probably best to start with the club of Rome and the world economic forum. Um, they were founded as more or less sister organizations and they were founded, uh, to promote this work called the limits to growth and the limits to growth has since been roundly debunked. Uh, it was faulty computer modeling like the uh, hockey stick graph, famous hockey stick graph. Um, and the limits to growth basically held that uh, if we don't stop uh, producing offspring at you know to this rate we are, uh, the planet's going to run out of resources. And now out of that popped up, you know, the spaceship uh, metaphor or thought exercise and the life raft thought exercise. And which would which person would you off? Would it be the, the grandmother in the life raft or would it be the young pregnant woman? Um, all of that came from these people who, uh, with the limits to growth, it was kind of this first idea that global there's there's a global problem that requires global cooperation, and it's too big for any one country to solve on its own. Um, and, and it really happened after World War II. I mean, this is kind of ancient history now, but it was the idea that uh, the Club of Rome put out that 
the enemy of humanity is humanity itself. We, we, the global elite, need a common enemy to unite against. I mean, this is more or less their exact words. We need a global enemy to unite against, uh, and that enemy is humanity itself. And so they are anti-human, most of them. Uh, they, they do believe that, I mean, overpopulation kind of became a toxic brand. It's like, what do you do about overpopulation? I mean, there's not a really a clear solution other than, uh, massive amounts of abortion and, you know, lowering the birth rate below two, which in a lot of countries, I mean, I think they should take a victory lap. A lot of countries, the birth rate is below two, which is below the level of sustain, you know, sustaining the, the population. Um, but moving forward, they got kind of settle on, and this is the world economic forum, Klaus Schwab. They settle on global uh, cooling, then they settle on global warming. Eventually, they arrive at climate change, um, which is sort of perfect because uh, the climate is always changing and every weather event can be climate change. Uh, I mean, Reuters recently reported that a lightning strike was climate change. And I mean, ne next volcanoes will be climate change. So um, climate change is, is perfect in the sense that uh, the world needs to come together. The population needs to cough up a ton of money, over a trillion dollars, um, collectively in the Western countries to solve the problem of climate change. Now, I mean, it, the, the problem with it is people kind of have shrugged collectively about climate change tragically. I mean, I don't really make, uh, I don't take a position on whether the earth is getting warmer or anthropogenic or what have you. Um, but just that the, uh, you know, elite interests uh, seem to get very wealthy by trying to solve these global problems. And then comes the pandemic. And so the pandemic was, again, this ultimate opportunity as klaus schwab said in his great reset address it's the it's the ultimate opportunity to reorder the world to essentially abolish free market capitalism i mean they ultimately want to get to a system of no private property ownership i mean they say very openly and sort of famously you will own nothing and you'll be happy um and they and they all subscribe to that because you know i'm clearly swimming in your pond not mine but it when as i look at this it seems to me that the common theme is control and that money is just table stakes that it's not that these people all came together because they are wealthy they all come together because they have a perverse and 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 psycho psychopathic uh desire to have control over others in in a way that is not normal and it's only the fact that they well, happen Kelly, to be wealthy that has allowed them to, to get there, that other people yeah, who have that desire, and they probably are out uh, there, don't have the kind of money that allows them to play in this elite group. Am I wrong I, on that? It's actually, it, but before you answer, Seamus, I, I got to jump in and just sure. say, uh, Kelly, it, as, as a psychologist, I, I wonder if you could dig a little into that You're on your before Seamus answers yourself, dig into that, because it actually is confusing to me. And, and for me, Confusion is one of my defense strategies. It, it, I know that right behind confusion is rage or disbelief or something like that. But I literally look at these guys and go, "Why would you? Why would control be a, and it, telling another person how they should live their life? Not only is it anathema to the principles I, that I thought this country was founded on, it, it feels it feels alien to every shred of my being." So just if you well, wouldn't before, if you would mind, yeah, just what kind of person, you know, you said psychopath and sociopath and whatnot. And, and in my world, they use control just to get their, get what they want. But, but it feels like this is a kind of a whole spectrum of people that like control for a variety of reasons. So I want you correct. to speak to it before Seamus does. It is the pathology of wanting control. And I would say that although people, I think, incorrectly use the word God complex, about people like Bill Gates. He doesn't have a God complex. He is God's competitor. He is Satan. He is the, he is the mm. antichrist. He is, he is 
Now, he doesn't think he's God. He thinks he's better than God. He's above mm. God. These people are godless. They are to a person, atheist, every one of them. They think that, they're, that there's, they supersede the will of God. And if God controls humanity and they supersede God, then they for control humanity. If you if you want to look truly, I think but, but at the psycho- you know, from- psychologically, why what do they get out of that? It just it feels so it feels sort of it's, disgusting. It's how imp- how, well disgusting to you, but how incredibly empowering if you believe that you are above all. That is an incredibly empowering. It is it is narcissism on steroids, if you will. Right. Uh, it's it's the it's right. taking narcissism to the to the level where it is absolutely you know, deadly. There's nothing that they would stop at. And the, and the only thing I think of that, that from a, a, a fictional um, depiction got close to that would be something like the Hunger Games, that, that movie, yeah. that concept, where you have a group of people mm. who for their own amusement, it really is only because they love the fact that they feel so incredibly superior to you. You will eat bugs. Mm. You will wear nothing. You will have nothing. And, and you will be happy with whatever crumbs I, you know, we throw to the peasants. It is, it is on steroids. It's narcissism on steroids in my, in my estimation. Yeah. But I, I want to hear, Seamus, do you think that, am I, am I off base when I say that control is the theme and money is the table stakes? No, I mean, at this point, uh, they're going to live the billionaire lifestyle forever. I mean, even if they give away half or 80 to 90% of their That's incomes, right. they will be living, uh, you know, they several of them own uh, private islands and they all have private jets or Jeff Bezos has a 450 foot yacht, uh, which is, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not anti-capitalist. I'm all for people uh, making money. You know, the, we're, we're capitalists at the Government Accountability Institute. Um, but it is that control through line that uh, connects a lot of these guys. And and for uh, for Dr. Drew, I would encourage you to look at the, uh, the epigraph quotes at the top of the chapter. I mean, in the Soros chapter, there's a, a great quote and it, it took a lot of time to verify some of these quotes um, because you kind of hear them and you see them on memes and, and you're like, is this a real quote? This couldn't be a real quote. Um, sure enough, George Soros has a, a quote that he talks about. He has powerful messianic fantasies. He fancies himself a god. Um, he, he, he straight up admits it. The LA Times quoted wow. him on it. Yeah, right. yeah. Read, read the chapter six epigraph quote from George Soros. And then, uh, I mean, you know, everybody's heard from Henry Kissinger, who is Klaus Schwab's mentor. Power is the ultimate aphrodisiac. Um, mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in terms of uh, whether or not, you know, they, they love the values of America. I mean, they certainly... Uh, you think that they would be a little more grateful for the values of America that turned them into such uh, fabulously wealthy individuals. Um, but David Rockefeller, I mean, chapter one, who is really the control oligarch prototype, um, he's got a great quote. I mean, the the I changed I changed the word cabal to club because it, you know uh, certain people didn't want it to sound too conspiratorial. But in his memoirs, uh, published two thousand two, uh, David Rockefeller more or less says. Uh, some people believe that my family and I are part of some secret cabal working against the interests of the United States, uh, trying to overthrow the United States for a one world, uh, one world uh, type situation. If that's the charge, I mean, this is verbatim. If that's the charge, I am guilty of it and I am proud of it. Um, and so they I mean, really what this is. Yeah, I mean, right. read those quotes. I mean, there are some really, really sinister quotes and they're all documented. I mean, over a thousand thirty two endnotes uh, with that's a couple thousand sources. Uh, in the book, all of them you'd trust. Um, but but and that's and that's really what unites them is that 
they want to transfer power and control from the people, from individual countries to globalist institutions like the World Economic Forum. The UN is really a, you know, a subset. I mean, the politicians uh, act after the think tanks and NGOs uh, devise the game plans. Um, you saw that in the pandemic. I mean, the, the NGOs had been working on lockstep. I mean, in the case of the Rockefeller Foundation, had a perfect plan for when a pandemic eventually were to arise. I don't, I don't, you know, allege that it was uh, an intentional release or anything like that, but they were certainly planning for a pandemic. It's very obvious. Um, and they were well positioned to profit from a pandemic. Um, and so the Rockefeller Foundation had the lockstep exercise. And what you notice in the event 201 exercise, just weeks before uh, COVID pandemic began, what you notice is like the whole, the whole response to the the pandemic is about control. You must control the information. Right. I mean, they perfectly predicted mm. that there would be misinformation spreading like wildfire. And it's very critical to have just one central voice of authority. That would be Dr. Fauci, which Bill Gates has been funding him for 20 plus years or funding NIH right. programs uh, to the tune of three plus billion dollars. So, I mean, Dr. Fauci kind of goes to mm. uh, Zenadu 2.0 in Seattle in the late 90s when the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is really getting set up. And that's when Bill Gates promises to shower Fauci's uh, pet priorities with uh, Gates Foundation cash. Um, and from then on, mm. they, I mean, it's, he's, he's under, uh, Fauci is under Bill Gates in a way, um, in that sense. So, uh, yeah, they want to transfer the power uh, from na nations to global organizations that are unelected and therefore unaccountable. Nobody's elected Klaus Schwab or George Soros or Bill Gates. I mean, right. you know, nobody elected him. And when they're unelected, they're unaccountable, which uh, is awfully convenient for them. Well, Bill Gates was just recently lauding the response of the Chinese Communist Party uh, to the pandemic and their uh, remarkable ability to, quote, control the virus. And he goes on to say, yes, maybe a lot of individual liberties and individual rights were tread upon, but look what a remarkable impact it had. You know, read, you know, here's the bottom line, read, that's what it takes to actually manage a, you know, a public health crisis is treading on and removing and essentially disregarding people's civil liberties. So if you have any question about whether or not he supports the values of the United States, it's clearly no, because he would absolutely get rid of the Bill of Rights and the Constitution if there's any public health crisis that they have determined as a public health crisis, which is part of the reason this WHO treaty or, or these, you know, these amendments to the WHO with regard to the pandemic are so scary. Again, Seamus, we're talking about completely unelected individuals at the WHO. That is the long arm of the Chinese Communist Party. They clearly uh, duck march to, uh, to whatever the WEF says, uh, and they're all in, in coats together. So I guess the next question for you, from my perspective is, you know, what is going to happen next? You clearly have done the deep dive on these as people as individuals and certain their, certainly their connections to one another. Where is this going? Uh, you know, yeah, we know we're, they're going to have another pandemic. They've got something else planned. Pandemics, by the way, are so, you know, I'm, I'm a uh, mass casualty specialist. It's hard to get people really fearful over something like climate change. It's just too slow. It's just too, it doesn't really, you know, it's hard to get people really jazzed up even about gun violence. You know, it just, it's, you know, a dozen people here, a dozen people there, but a pandemic's awesome because that kid's just, that strikes fear in, into the masses. 
So it's such a great way to get control. Where do you, what from your purview do you think is going to happen next? What's next on the hit parade? Well, I'll, I'll just tell you what they tell us is going to happen next. I mean, there's this uh, World Economic Forum visionary, uh, Yuval Noah Harari, is the author of Sapiens. He's allotted, you know, his uh, 30 million copies of his books have been sold worldwide. He's kind of this brilliant, brilliant thinker. Um, uh, President Obama praised him. Mark Zuckerberg loves his work. Bill Gates loves his work. Um, and, 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 you know, he hedges his statements where he's saying, I'm not saying this is good or bad, but you can you can tell um, that he's sort of excited. I mean, so I'll, I'll give you an example of one of his quotes. He says COVID and exactly to your point, um, as Kelly, right? Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly to your point. He, he um, says that COVID was critical because COVID what is, was what allowed people to accept total biometric surveillance. That's more right. or less a verbatim quote. And he says, you know, the tracking and the tracing and the contact tracing and the jabbing and the swabbing, uh, that got people to accept not just like, you know, what's going on above your skin, what's going on under your skin. And so he talks about like microchips and all this stuff. I'm not saying that like you're going to get microchipped. I don't say anything like that in the book, but they've certainly got, they're working on patents like that. The other things they're working on, digital ID, just earlier this month, uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation with the United Nations hosted an event called Digital uh, the, the digital ID 50 in 50 event, in five event, uh, which is 50 countries within five years will be rolling out digital ID regimes. And it's kind of sold as, oh, well, this will be super convenient for you. But it's like, I don't really have a problem pulling out my driver's license. I'm not sure why there needs to be a centralized database um, that kind of tracks all of the things that you're doing. Um, and we saw, you know, and, and I thought going into this, like, you know, you hear all these conspiracy theories it's in, you know, what's real, what's not. That was the point of this book is to separate the facts from the fiction. Everybody remembers during the pandemic what a ID looks like, a, a vaccine passport. In New York City, you couldn't go into restaurants, you couldn't socialize, you couldn't go to events without one. Um, it's the same thing. And so really the end game is uh, a system much like China. They they all praise China, as you mentioned, uh, Klaus Schwab praises China's COVID response. They they use uh, euphemism terms like uh, efficiency or their ability to mobilize. Um, but ultimately, they love uh, this system of state-run capitalism. Klaus Schwab calls it stakeholder capitalism. He said that the COVID opportunity was an opportunity to implement stakeholder capitalism, which is this sort of hybrid of communism and capitalism with digital IDs and, and they're pushing central bank digital currencies. The IMF just announced earlier this month uh, that they're wor working very hard to push CBDCs, the Atlantic Council. I mean, these are big, serious organizations. It's not me saying this. This is what they're saying. Uh, the Atlantic Council says the momentum behind CBDCs heading into 2024 remains strong. Um, CBDCs, I mean, there's many critics of CBDCs. People much uh, much savvier than I in finance terms. I mean, the head of a, one of the Federal Reserve branches says there is absolutely no reason that we need a central bank digital currency unless you want to be like China or like the Trudeau government with the Canadian truckers and freezing people's accounts if they're dissidents. Um, it's it's just total unprecedented control. And then, I mean, finally, I'll just say this AI thing. I mean, you always thought about artificial intelligence and robots as this faraway sci-fi sci kind of future and uh, we'll we'll know it when we get there. Uh, we're there. I mean, it's happening right now right. all around you. It's going to lead to, according to Sam Altman, which no one knows, no one would know AI better than he would. He's the OpenAI 
on again, off again, CEO, um, creator of chat GPT. He says, anybody who thinks this isn't going to lead to like wide scale job losses is sorely mistaken. There will be lots of job losses, which is then going to be used to usher in a UBI universal basic income. That's how you'll kind of live your existence is on a meager universal basic income. Uh, you'll be, you'll be in these, uh, High rise, fifteen minute cities, or whatever, eating the uh, right. alternative protein paste. It, is there oh, is is there? Sounds delightful. Um, is, is there a kingpin to this cabal? Uh, as I said, you know, Soros is like what ninety three, and Schwab is in his mid eighties. You, you know, they they unfortunately have an expiration date. One hopes. Um, it, when that happens, you know, is there a succession plan in place or does there need to be? Um, is this thing now self-sustaining from your perspective? It appears self-sustaining. I mean, George Soros, there was some question over whether, I mean, and he would certainly be sort of a kingpin. Um, but there, and, and David Rockefeller was certainly a, a kingpin, but he's, he's moved on. Um, uh, there was some question whether George Soros would actually make it. I mean, you're right, he is 93 um, and so we were like, well, should we even put him on the cover of the book? He's kind of a dead horse. <laughs> um, and so that really led me to dig into uh, this, the entire Soros family and all five of his children. And it turns out his youngest son, Alexander Soros, the youngest of five children, um, each of them very radical and in, in funding, you know, the prosecutor, uh, you know, the soft on crime prosecutors and the uh, open border migration policies type stuff. Alexander Soros, who is now just taking control of the $25 billion dark money network of the open society institutes um he's more radical than his father and he said so and he's you know going to be funding a lot of radical left po- policies the open borders and the election uh uh what you know what, whatever euphemism Sh- Seamus, they use, security. What, what does he think what does he think he's doing what was his I, i'm trying to figure out what what his goal is and does he not look at get any feedback from the data in the cities where he's creating all this mess well, so if, if you really look at what's driven George Soros Sr., and, and so he's obviously the, the mentor and the largest influence in Alex's mm-hmm. life, uh, what drives George Soros Sr. is this concept of an open society. And it sounds charming and lovely, uh, really. Um, but really what an open society is, is uh, no borders. It's a, you know, a worldwide no borders, no national you know, sovereignty. I mean, he did, George Soros did grow up in Nazi Germany. Um, so he's got some seriously anti- uh, nationalist uh, feelings. I mean, he, you know, he's Soros is an Esperanto term, which is you know the, the language that is supposed to replace all uh, languages. And so, I, you know, he really does not like borders or countries. And the United States is, is, is probably an, the biggest threat. Not anarchists. No, they you know, a global technocratic elite, uh, much kind of like like a Brussels type situation or like Davos. Um, you know, they're they're. It, it, democracy, which a lot of his initiatives are named like the the democracy initiative or the right. democracy fund, um, you know, they're always sort of misnomers or inverted inversions of what they really are about. Um, they don't love democracy. Democracy is slow. This is why they praise China for things like the pandemic, but not mm-hmm. just the pandemic for other reasons. It's efficient to not be accountable to the people. And so a global technocratic elite, I mean, 10 years ago, if you asked me about the new world order, or the, you know, this kind of stuff. Um, I would say, oh, that's kind of kooky town. Um, but the pandemic was really, I think, eye-opening for uh, me right. and a lot of people that this is what's going on. They really do, uh, re- you know, resent na- uh, nations that resist the the global organizations. And the United States is like enemy number one of globalists. 
The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, oh boy. Oh, he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for a discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. Well, it became very clear during the pandemic that Americans in particular are very susceptible to the sort of boiling a frog uh, concept. Mm. Um, Anything that's insidious and slow, they just don't get it. No matter how many times you try to bring it to their attention, you're called a conspiracy theorist or a tinfoil hat wearer. And then when it happens, it's like, wow, you know, who knew? So I guess from my my next question really to you would be, Seamus, what do we do about it? Is it too late? Are we saying, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I, you know, I, I have no children and I'm of an age that I hopefully won't live long enough to live in a 15 minute city eating bugs. Um, but uh, w- w- what do we do about it? How do you unwind this? Well, I've got a lot of hope for the future. I don't think it's too late. I don't think it's over. I don't think they've won just yet. I mean, we're close. Uh, 2030 is what they set as their end point of basically total control. You know, agenda 2030 is like, we're going to, you know, when they say we're going to have, uh, you know, uh, totally clean power and uh, we're going to cure poverty and we're going to solve, you know, education and all the, like they list on these goals of the United Nations, the sustainable development goals, like every aspect of society 2030 is the end point of which like they uh, hope to achieve it. I think just to be safe, we should say 2025. Um, so we've got a few years, but you can see, uh, I mean, the energy industry is getting controlled with the the bans on gas-powered vehicles in favor of uh, electric vehicles, which Congress just passed a, a kill switch uh, requirement that every auto manuf- manufacturer has to be able to put a kill switch in a vehicle so that it can be remotely uh, turned off uh, for safety, I guess. Um, but these things are all coming down the pike. The number one thing you can do is be well-armed with the facts and know what's going on and share the facts because you need to be able to, um, articulate some of these things that are happening. I mean, it's not, it's not actually very hard to prove what's going on. There's every other day as I'm going through this book launch, I'm like, wow, here's another story about digital ID or central bank digital currencies. I mean, there's, and it's coming from mainstream outlets. So it's not really that fringe. Uh, the number you know, the other thing I would say is that like the solution to all of this, like globalism problems is local. Like all the solutions are at the local level. 
whether it's buying everything you can, as much as you can local from your food to um, supporting your local businesses, you know, getting rid of Amazon if you can. I know it's hard. I mean, I, I the book's on Amazon. <laughs> I, I, you know, wish it weren't or, or wish it would be uh, purchased from your local retailer. Um, but then also getting involved with local organizations. There's a lot of them, you know, Moms for Liberty type organizations and going and taking back school boards and just uh, educating your friends and your neighbors. And what we've seen before is when their agendas and their plans are exposed, they have to, they're forced to really recalibrate and recalculate. And, uh, you know, some of the things they fall out of fashion, they know that they can't get away with it. I mean, you saw it with the vaccine mandates. I mean, a lot of other countries complied, um, but the United States, you know, a lot of a good number of people didn't. And now then you, now you look at the, the booster compliance and it's like, you know, down near zero. So eventually people, uh, you know, wake up and, and don't uh, succumb to the pressures of the control of arcs, but um, that requires a lot of spreading of information and sharing the facts. Yeah, because I, I have to say, you know, while I want to be hopeful, I, I agree with you. I think if they're saying, you know, 2030 to be safe, you have to say, you know, maybe it's 2025, 26. You're talking about two years from now, and most Americans are going to be tied up or, or uh, distracted by the upcoming election. That's what everyone's focusing on. So they're not focusing on the thing that they need to be focusing on which is in fact what is about to happen to us. Um, and I don't see people really pushing back yet. I'm hopeful that it, when they launch the next you know, fear fest, which is around the corner, I'm probably in the form of a pandemic again, um, is how people respond. That's gonna be the real litmus test. Do people go back and put the masks back on? Do they comply with school closures? Do they comply with lockdowns and limited, you know, capacity in bars and restaurants and all the stuff that, you know, landed us with a smoldering, you know, crater where our economy used to be? Um, you know, what our response to the next thing, I think, is going to be really the the bellwether. So, you know, if if people comply, then, then we're done. You might as well just, you know, um, you know, spend it all right now because it's, it's going to be game over. Um, do you think there's anything people, you know, from a political perspective, is there anything that would change? Do you think if we put, uh, you know, somebody else in the white house versus, um, uh, Biden, do you think anything would change? Uh, well, you know, uh, we, we know that the, uh, Biden's largest opponent is basically the enemy of all of these guys. Uh, so, I mean, that's just, it's just what it is. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg with his 400 million in the drop boxes or George Soros with Alvin Bragg and Fannie Willis and, mm -hmm. uh, George Soros mm -hmm. is bankrolling the effort, uh, citizens for responsibility and eth uh, ethics in Washington to remove Donald Trump from the ballot. So, I mean, this, I, I don't think we've ever seen a figure who's as, uh, reviled, by these kind of globalist forces as Donald Trump. Uh, you know, I, I'm skeptical that there will be, uh, that they'll let him in one way or another. Right. Um, right. So, you know, we'll, I guess we'll just have to see how that goes. Um, but again, like organizing at the local level, um, taking back your, your children's education, taking an active role in children's education, taking an active role in your community. Um, I, you know, I, I'm in Florida, so I didn't get, I didn't live through the worst parts of the pandemic, right. I'm, you know, and I consider myself blessed. I don't take that for granted, but maybe you want to consider moving to a place uh, that's less tyrannical um, yeah. because, it, you know, it's, uh, you know, our, our, we're not going to put up yeah. with it. I can Seamus, speak for Florida. Seamus, to that, uh, we're not to that point, 
to to that point, I I feel like there's a an interesting sort of headline, for lack of a better word, that that uh, or something that is top of mind for people is they are tired of being disdained and disparaged by their government, by businesses, by regulators, by the media. It, it's it's what's creating the movement around the country. And people, I, I heard somebody say the other day, we shouldn't be sup, we shouldn't be uh, supplementing people's in, income. We should be buying them luggage so they can go places where they can more <laughs> effectively make a living. But but it's it's generally true that there's these parallel economies uh, popping up, and so people are not just wanting not to do business with people and governments that disparage them. They're motivated to do business with these parallel organizations that want, that like them, that want to serve them. Are you seeing things like that also as a solution? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is such a great point, Dr. Drew. Um, the parallel economies, and that's what I mean when I say buying local. I mean, I don't mean go fund uh, your local uh, control oligarch lover. Uh, you know, like find the people <laughs> in your community who think like you and support their business and f find not just in your community, but I mean, sponsors of this show and sponsors of shows that you you trust. I mean, those are typically people you can, you know, uh, rely on as the good guys. Um, and so, you know, fund, find those organizations and stop funding your opposition, stop funding the people who resent you and ridicule you, um, and put your money, uh, in another place, vote with your wallet. I mean, it's, you know, it seems so small next to these trillion dollar forces, but it, you know, collectively makes a big difference. You saw it with Target and Bud Light, for example. Oh, I went, I'm watching the clock wind down here, and I want to spend yeah. a few minutes at yes. least talking about everybody's favorite topic, which is Epstein. Uh, go back to that. You guys touched on it, but uh, I'd love to hear more about, uh, Seamus, your theory, or, or maybe it's more than theory, about uh, who Epstein and uh, Elaine Maxwell were actually working for, if they were working for someone, um, what the relationship was and, and how you think that whole thing really was, was organized. You're trying to get me killed, Dr. Kelly. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. He's suicided. No, no. I, I, no. <laughs> this, this, this wasn't an Epstein book, although I've thought about it. I mean, man, what a, what a, uh, what a story. Uh, and the clients, I mean, they're out there. Uh, the names are known. We just don't know for sure if they're clients, uh, you know, I, and I, I want to be clear, there's no evidence and Bill Gates has certainly denied, uh, you know, any knowledge of her activity in, uh, I guess, Epstein's subsequent schemes or illegal activities, uh, raping children or what have you. Um, but Bill Gates certainly knew when he uh, became friends with Epstein that he had been charged and convicted of soliciting prostitution from a minor. That charge happened in 2006, conviction in 2008. And so we've got actually quotes that the New York Times tracked down some Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation people. Um, they don't talk to me, but uh, the New York Times they talked to and uh, they said that Epstein, when they first kind of brought Epstein into the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation network, um, said, now, when you Google me, and this is more or less a direct quote, it's in the New York Times, like, when you Google me, you might find some things that would lead you to think that I'm not a good person. Uh, but I can assure you it was no worse than, quote, stealing a bagel. Um, that's what he said. And so, I mean, that's just really sick. Obviously, everybody knows Jeffrey Epstein is a sick, sick man. But the fact that Bill Gates uh, proceeded to, and, and Gates Foundation staff were horrified. I mean, they were like, you know, oh, this guy was soliciting uh, prostitution from a minor. Um, why is Bill Gates hanging out with him and continuing to hang out with him um, and fly on his jet? I mean, Bill Gates was on the jet. 
Um, but I want to go, like, I mean, back to the, you know, the jet, the flight logs, that doesn't prove anything. Um, and people right. talk about like an Epstein client list, like he was just kind of jotting down all of his clients. He may have done that, but there's really no evidence that there's like some something called the client list. What I can tell you is that when JP Morgan admits to the Treasury Department in in, uh, in court and under oath type situations that they facilitated $1 billion in transactions and quote, human trafficking transactions, that a billion dollars, that is a ton of money. And there's always got to be a person on the other end of the transaction, right? I mean, uh, you know, we don't know if it's a 1 billion all into Epstein's account or 5 million, 500 million in or 500 million out. But there are people on the other end of those wire transfers. Treasury Department presumably has them. Uh, JP Morgan definitely has them. And uh, that's the that's the client list right there. I mean, what else would people be sending Jeffrey Epstein $1 billion for regarding like who, right. uh, you know, he works for or what, ha you know, I don't I don't know. I don't have facts on that. Um, I do okay. know that he has like the cameras and it absolutely appeared to be a blackmail operation mm -hmm. based on the FBI's documents. The uh, You know, like what else would you have cameras um, in like right. bedroom for when you're running a uh, underage prostitution ring? Um, and so, and, and, and these kind of things have, uh, you know, intelligence agencies, it would, it would seem right. Uh, there's been scandals like this in the past, um, involving high level. I mean, I think there was just a bust of, a. it wasn't underage, but a big prostitution ring in DC that had high level military clientele right. and, uh, potentially even lawmakers. Um, and there's been, uh, many myriad, uh, prostitution and even underage prostitution scandals tragically i mean i think it's one of the most tragic scandals that there could be is the harming of children like that um mm -hmm. and so it's it's tragic and uh jp morgan has the clients uh we should we should know who those are and right. uh they need to be prosecuted i mean that's the thing is like you can't traffic humans to no one so there are people on the receiving end and they need to be brought to justice Right. So we have this list of people and we know, and I agree with you, it certainly appears to have been a blackmail scheme. And I think it's implausible to, to believe that Jeffrey Epstein himself was trying to blackmail these high level people to what end. Uh, so whether or not it was on the behalf of the U.S. government, um, I, there are people out there saying that it was actually the Mossad and that this was part of an Israeli uh, way to try to, to uh to be able to control and blackmail high-level individuals within the U.S. I, I don't know. I don't have any intel on that, but somebody does. Uh, and you can't, it's just not, you know, it's just not conceivable to me that somebody doesn't know who is behind this, who is funding this, who orchestrated the whole thing. Um, so I just was wondering if you had intel on that piece of it or not, or if that will be your next, will that be your next book, the Epstein story, or are you uh, <laughs> going to continue hammering on, on the, uh, the control oligarchs? Well, if it is, I didn't hang myself. Um, so, <laughs> um, and, uh, I, you know, it's, it's, I think the biggest story, uh, ever the biggest corruption scandal story. Um, I mean, I think we kind of know that our government must be in on it. Right. I mean, how, how not he, or, or at the very right. least our government right. is compromised or the prosecutors are compromised. I mean, it is so bizarre. I mean, just like you go back and read like the night of his, his, uh, murder or alleged murder, um, in in the jail cell, I mean, the, like a hundred things had to go wrong in order for like uh, the, for no one to see who offed him. So I mean, I of guess the, the, right. the, the criminal justice system is implicated. Right. 
Um, and then, then yes. there were previous cases going back 20 plus years where he was let off the hook. And J.P. Morgan, I mean, just paid 300. I mean, J.P. Morgan's like the largest bank in the United States. One of them uh, just paid a $350 million settlement to the victims of Jeffrey Epstein. You don't pay that much money if you didn't do anything. Um, and James Staley, I mean, for heaven's sake, you, you go read about James Staley. I won't, I won't uh, ruin your listener's day. Um, but, he, you know, the allegations, uh, you know, Disney characters, uh, there's transcripts of the phone calls with with Epstein and using Disney character names. So it's like s- seriously, seriously sick mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and he and he hasn't been, you know, he denies, of course, I got to say, uh, James Staley denies that he did anything wrong. But if you read the reports, it's like, I mean, how is this guy not investigated at the very least? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Crazy, crazy well, we, stuff. Uh, yeah, you've been very kind with your time. I know we're all running up against the clock here. Uh, I look right. forward to reading the book. I, I feel you know, uh, so much of the last couple of years have been about scales falling from my eyes. There it is, control the garks. And uh, I, I, I just, I just, I just shake my head when I see what some of these guys are up to, and I just don't get it. By the way, while we were streaming, uh, Charlie Munger passed away. Uh, so uh, there's uh, one of the good guys we've lost, uh, humbly, I would say. Um, and I think, I, I think, I don't know anymore. Maybe, 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 uh, Seamus <laughs> will get his claws into him too. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> no, Charlie, uh, what if either of you have last, okay. Uh, Seamus last words. Well, I just thank you so much for all you've done. I mean, yes, scales falling from everyone's eyes, I think, uh, has been a, it's been a big wake up call. The pandemic was a big wake up call that, uh, they can do tyrannical things even to you, even to your family in your own home. Uh, and, yeah. and just read the book. I mean, it's like every sector. I mean, it's got the smart, the smart, uh, thermostats and people are getting locked out in mm. Denver from their smart thermostats right. and waking up drenched in sweat. Uh, unable to control their own temperature in their home. I mean, there's some serious, seriously uh, nefarious things happening, and we need to get the word out like pronto. Right, right. Well, well thank uh, you we again. We'll do it. Hopefully, this this is the beginning of it. Thank you, and uh, we will let you go, Seamus. Thank you so much. You can follow him at SeamusBruner.com, B-R-U-N-E-R. Seamus is S-E-A-M-U-S. Twitter, same, Seamus Bruner, and Instagram. And then, uh, Kelly, uh, you know, it's interesting. I'm reading um, Elon Musk's book, his biography by Isaacson. And he's he's a very different character than these guys. I look forward to reading The Control Guard because I, mm-hmm. I, Musk too. has no interest in control. And yet, he's a very controlling businessman. He controls his Correct. empires and things, extremely yes. controlling and demanding. But but not interested in telling people how to live their life. You know what I mean? Exactly. Which is a a different different thing. Right. So very different. There are lots of people who are, you know, we use the vernacular, you know, control freaks or very control. But these people have a pathologic desire to supersede all other power and to, and, and they get off so on it. Crazy. There's actually, you know, even as far as there's, there's an element of sexual gratification. He said, you know, it's the greatest aphrodisiac. <laughs> yes. There is actual gratification to the ability to actually control and be a, a higher power in the lives of people than God in their minds. So with that, I will leave. I've got well, to, I've got to jump yeah. off. I've got another. Yes, you got to go too. But, so uh, Kelly, we'll see you soon. Uh, I will review yep. the schedule coming up with the with the uh, audience. Uh, we are going to be off Wednesday and Thursday. We have to travel right away here, but we're going to come back with uh, Steve O uh, noontime on Friday. 
He's got some new stuff out, his uh, bucket list. Tom Wren's in here on the 4th. Uh, he's got some updates. And then uh, on Tuesday, next week, obviously, is a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, also scheduled a little bit different. Nicole and Jemmy, uh, check out her Instagram is uh, Mrs. underscore and Jemmy, I think is how she has her Instagram. It's uh, She's a medical educator. And then on the 6th with Kelly Becky on a Wednesday, Ed Dowd, and that is, I believe, a 3 p.m. show. Uh, I, let me look at my schedule very quickly. I'm sorry. Give me a second here so I can confirm time of day. Yeah, pretty much everything is three o'clock next week, but Steve-O is uh, noontime Pacific. So we thank you being here, but I watch you guys out on the restream and of course on the um, on the Rumble Rants as well. Uh, Caleb, did you have any comments or any reaction to what Seamus was talking about? No, it's just that I always ask the question of, uh, look, some of these guys are like, what, 92, 93 years old. How can they ever possibly mm -hmm. expect to benefit from taking over the world at this point in life? Especially if they're, well, like, it, it seems like Soros things. is not two religious things. at all. So it, I don't, that's yeah. where I don't, I, I don't understand. It, it, narcissism begs no alternative. Okay. When you are narcissistic, you can't contemplate that you're going to die. It, it's just not a thing. It just doesn't, it just right. doesn't enter their, their ability to process things. Uh, and they have family members, as Seamus was telling us about. He has Alexander, who has stepped in. And I don't know if you saw some of his ex-action yesterday. He right. was quoting uh, crime rates in rural environments versus cities. I saw that. And going, why are you bothering me? It's like, that. that's just it's just apples and oranges. Not even like, it's just a bizarre way to look at this. So it's clear that his cognitive dissonance is so profound, he's unwilling to take any feedback. So... You know, it's it's upon all of us. We've got to become aware. We've got to, I, I didn't expect freedom again. I've said this many times, it'd be such a big issue in my life. But here we are where we uh, have to step up and uh, raise awareness about these things. I, I'm certainly going to read the book uh, about the controller yeah. so I can try to understand them a little better. That's what and, I try. Uh, I try to understand to, it as, because I feel like a lot of people, especially on the shows, you know, it's the, the thing that people want to jump to is that these are, they take them away from being human beings and just think of them as these are demonic right. presences and they start using things like, right. well, he's an, he's an antichrist or he is, you know, no. they, yeah. but he's it's still a human being. And that's why if he is a sociopath, why does he care about a future for his son? It, that doesn't, you know, so it's, there's something odd there that I'm not clicking with of, do they actually, do they think they can live forever in some way? through their riches or there's something that, that or well, their there, brains just so you know, warped it's, that it's, they don't know. Um, no, I mean, I, that's why I was asking the kinds of questions I was asking at the beginning. Like, what are they thinking? How would they describe what they're doing? And we need to hear more of that so we can balance against, uh, you know, some of the stuff that like a Seamus is reporting, but I, I'm sure they have reasons for it. It's just that they don't seem to, uh, they don't, they're not very Bayesian in their reasoning. They don't update their priors. And that right. is how people get into ideologies that have people do incredibly harmful things to other people. And back to your point about uh, what do they think after they die? It's why people put their names on buildings and things like that. Right. They, right. they kind of, they want things to go on in their absence. And it seems you know, like they're, a they're lot very of narcissistic work. In the like, moment. It's got to be some sort of a mental <laughs> a illness mixed in there. Cause I'm just thinking, gosh, if I'm getting to 93 and I'm still trying to take over the world when I'm already a billionaire, I can get anything that I wanted. It just, I'm like, why don't you just sit down for a minute? Just, just sit down. Right. Just sit and down I and guess just stop. It's the kind of person. <laughs> 
<laughs> I guess it's the kind of person that has that kind of success that that will be the kind of person that wants to keep going like, like this. There's nothing so, else to do. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's yeah. yeah, it's odd. It's it's odd, yeah. and I think we should try to understand it. Like, why is Warren should... Buffett not have this compulsion to go and and like mess things up? Like it seems right. like Soros and these others do. That's, I, right. I, that's it. Yeah, it doesn't. That's the part. I guess it doesn't I, I, make sense what, yet. <laughs> And by the way, please study history. Everybody, yeah. please study your history. There's there's so much goes wrong, so much evil, so much awful gets done to other humans in the name of doing good. It's all you know, the it's it's always in the name of being good and doing what's right. What do you think Germany was all about? They were doing the right thing, but they were, you know, they they felt they were justified in everything they were doing. It's always, always in the name of good that horrible things are done. That's and the the greatest buttress against that is freedom and local and local governments, local relationships, family units. These things buttress against these large um, consolidations right. that can just run amok. So, and there is a, right, there's a good that, point. You guys. A good point being made by someone right. in the comments that's saying that I am a non-psychopath trying to make sense of the actions of a psychopath, and it's always going to conflict in my brain whenever I try to make sense of that from a, a healthy brain. It, <laughs> you know? it is. It, it 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 is, but you know, I, I Kelly modified her assessment to sociopath a little bit, right? And right. I, I you know, again, we're we can't make diagnoses on these people. I don't I don't want to try. I mean, uh, narcissism seems like a good bet. I mean, you can't you can't can't right. go wrong with that. There's got to be some narcissistic stuff going on in there. Uh, Maybe but, it'll never you know, make why sense. Why this to me. individual? Why this individual is so focused on telling other people how to live? Uh, and not trusting it's a it's a distrust of all of us and right that's what we should be distrustful of so let's leave it right. at that we'll yeah. see you at noon on friday thank you for being here everybody ask dr drew is produced by caleb nation and susan pinsky as a reminder the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care diagnosis or treatment this show is intended for educational and informational purposes only I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.